So Pastor Martin taught last week, and he did an absolutely amazing job. If you haven't already watched it, it's going to be very important that as we move forward, that you watch all of the sermon series in succession, so that way you understand where we're going. What we've been doing is we've been kind of unboxing this conversation of Haggai, and what happens in Haggai is that it basically shares with us this cycle of what the children of Israel went through between being in right standing with God, losing that with faith, and then having to repeat it by trying to do what they need to do in the beginning the first time. Basically meaning this, God, we love you. God, you're going to deliver us from evil. God delivers them. Then they lose their mind. Then God says, you, you've broken the covenant. Now I have to start all over. But I, I want to tell you a story really quick. So, um, and it, it's going to preface my my, my teaching for today. So uh, growing up, uh, little girls uh, uh, in, like, in the 90s, they would play with like dolls and they would play with like Barbies and stuff. And we used to do these things called sleepover. But for, 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 for girls, they do like dress up and they play Barbies. But for boys, we played uh, PlayStation or Sega <laughs> at the time, or we would play with Legos. But the thing about it was interesting. Like when you would go to other people's houses to play with their Legos and stuff, there was a difference between people that were real Lego builders and those that were just play play. So real Lego builders would literally take the set, and as they were building it, they would apply this thing called super glue to the pieces. So that way when you put the pieces together, you couldn't take them apart. So that if you wanted a specific piece when you went to those people's houses, they would have to destroy the entire set to get one piece. Then there were people like me. I just thought it was cool to have some Legos. I didn't really buy the sets, and I wasn't about to have my parents spend like $100,000 or $200 for the Millennium Falcon with 2,000 pieces. That wasn't necessary for me. But there is this family that goes through this church, and they've been here since the beginning. They're amazing people. Elder Butler is our director of operations. But his middle son, Caleb, was one of those people. So he would buy these sets, and they would have all of these pieces. And when I would go over to spend the night at their house, like he would already have his house built for his men, and he would give me the leftover pieces. So what would happen is, is I would ask him, like, hey, can I have that door? He's like, no, 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 this door is already in place. I'm like, okay, okay, well, can I have, like, the sword? He's like, no, I already have a sword. So then what happened is, is that I had to end up using other Lego pieces out of their purpose. Like, I had to, like, go and, like, grab other pieces around the house to fulfill what I needed to be, to be fulfilled. So, like, I couldn't use the, it's going to get good in a second. I couldn't use the Lego sword. I had to go grab, like, some spaghetti. I couldn't use the Lego sword. I had to go find, like, a little piece of, like, of, of wood or whatever. And then what would happen is, is, like, when he would go to, like, use the restroom or, like, go to, like, get seconds on macaroni and cheese, I would try to destroy the house, but it was cemented. So then he would walk into the room and came like, what are you doing? He's like, and I'm like, I, I need this piece. Like, I, I can't, we can't start playing Legos if I ain't got all the pieces. And he would say, like, that piece is vital to what I'm building. And if you take it out, you'll ruin the house. He, he said, you can't take this door. And I'm like, you got 10 other doors that aren't attached. But he said, but this, is, this one is purpose. Like, this one is here on purpose. Like, this one is on purpose. Like, well, give me the, like, like, like I, just, I, just, I just need what I need. But the part that he understood was that when he was building the house, every single part had a reason and every single part played its role. That's why my title for today, as we look into the new normal part two, is House of Ruin. What we have to understand is that it's not about just coming back to the house of God. It's not just about being able to see each other. It's not just about being able to be in the building. But it's the how. How do we build God's house? What we have to understand is that in the word of God, they built the house physically. But the way that we are going to not rebuild but build AWC once we return is through spirituality and through physical Basically what that means is that our building is here, and we believe in our giving that you've already given, right? 
you've, you're generous, you've applied your faith. So by that, we are, you're able to see us, we're able to be in this building, we're able to heat it, cool it, cut the grass, we're able to vacuum it, we're able to take care of it. But the way in which we rebuild God's church is through the bodies that fill it and the spirits that are in them when they come. I know that you're probably trying to figure out where we're going, but I want to make sure that you understand something, and I'm going to hit the, the nail on the, on, the, on the head like Pastor did last week. Where you are is not normal. Now listen, I'm not talking for those of you that are trying to make up your mind if AWC is your church or not. Ah, I'm not trying to talk to y'all that are trying to figure out if you want to come back and serve. I'm not, I'm not talking to y'all that are trying to figure out if you should give or not. Who I'm talking to is out of these last two to three weeks, you have been faithfully tithing. You've been faithfully giving. You've been trying to figure out, okay, I, I can't sit at the house anymore. Like, even if I got to sit in the parking lot, like, I need to serve. Like, those are the folks that I'm talking to. Those people that literally wear the AWC brand, not on a t-shirt. Not on a hoodie, not on a really cool post that got 20 different likes between your friends and family, but it's almost as if we took the logo and God hit it with like Holy Ghost fire and you branded your forehead. Those are the people that we're talking to. What we have to understand is if our spirit is not correct, we can fill this building with bodies, but the building will still be unfinished. So what I want to talk to you about today are the specific pieces leaving off from where Pastor was talking about. But let's go on, what, um, let, let's go back to what Pastor was talking about last week. Pastor's last point from last week was that we were supposed to do the work. I want you to write that down. It's not one of my points, but do the work. So I was sitting at, 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 at the house, like trying to figure out, like there's something different when you're holding this mic, Pastor. Uh, I was trying to figure out what does it mean to do the work? And God began to share with me what a lot of parents are dealing with right now. A lot of parents are having to have to teach their children how to do math that they never learned. So now in order for you to understand that 2 plus 2 equals 4, we know that 2 plus equals 4 because we use our hands. But your children use a new system that takes 10, it takes 10 times as much energy and 10 times as much time to do it. But the teacher isn't interested in you knowing that 2 plus 2 equals 4. The teacher is more interested in you doing what? Showing the work. What we're going to understand is that these churches that are filled with people are still going to be unfinished buildings because the people don't know how to do the work. The work isn't in the purple seats being full. The work isn't in your ability to fill your house. The work is what is the spirit of the people that you're putting in your car? What is the spirit of the people that are serving on our serve teams? What is the spirit of the person that you see in the parking lot to the time, from the time they come from the street to the seat? Do they look like the house of God? Because what's going to happen now is that we understand AWC because our pastor's been teaching it for 30-some years. The church is not the building but the people that are in it. But if your spirit is not intact, it's just like me trying to steal a door that has a, its own purpose. The doors of the church have never been closed, but the question is, is your spirit open? Look at your neighbor. Look at the person sitting next to you. Look at the dog. Look at the omelet that you're making right now and ask them, are you a door? Are you a door? Because people meet, people meet the vision. People meet the foundation of the AWC when they meet you, not when they come here. What is your spirit? So today what we're going to do is we're going to go through Haggai, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about how the children of Israel realized how they ruined the house of God, realized that it was their responsibility to build it, and then thirdly, what the work actually means. Can somebody say what the work actually means? So when we look at the book of Haggai, before, we have to start in 2 Kings. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. I'm, I, already, I did my preaching, so that's it. You're not going to get any more. But I'm going to teach you a little bit today. That way we can take everything in this series into context. This series is supposed to give us the who, the what, the when, and the how we come back to the house of God. Because, and I'm already in my sermon. 
But just showing up to this building with the mindset before the corona would be indignified to God. It would be incorrect to come back to this building the same way that you left. And I want to make sure that you know, all you that are watching, yes, we haven't been on Facebook every single day, but we've replaced that and we've created this awesome opportunity and reintroduced small groups. But every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're searching through. We're searching through this Lego box trying to figure out, God, which pieces do you want? Were there any pieces that we had built in this thing called the church that weren't correct? God, like, where's the door? God, where's the lumber? God, where are the people? How do you want this Lego set to go? Before we bought a box set and there was a picture on the box, but God, what church do you see? What do you see? What do you see? What do you, what, do, look, look at your neighbor. What do you see? I think God wants us to throw out the instructions and to get on our knees and ask him for the master plan. It, it's, it's not red goes to blue, blue goes to green. I think it's Father God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come at AWC as it is in heaven. What if we came back to AWC with the mindset that what we did before wasn't wrong? Like, right? Like, what? What we did before wasn't like, it wasn't bad, but it's not what God wants now. The new normal isn't wearing a mask like Pastor said in the promo. Why am I stuck? The new normal is what God is calling our church to do. The vision is not changing. The mission is not changing. You're founding, we are not transitioning in this time. For those of you that are wondering, well, maybe Pastor Josh should be taking over. This would be the worst time for this thing to be in my hands because the man of God's arms are not down yet. Let me get to my points. 2 Kings 24 and 25. These, two books. Two books. Let, let, let me prove to you scripturally what that rant was about. And my vocal coach, Miss Mary, you just texted me. I see you. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this voice restraint. But the house of God must be built. And somebody's got to build it. So, somebody, somebody's got to build it. And we waste our time if people come back to the house and they're looking at other people work. Okay, they ain't going to say nothing, but I'm talking to you in your living room. The person that's been trying to figure out if AWC is your church, why don't you have the boldness to decide? Today, AWC is it. You don't pitter-patter between Target and Walmart. You make a decision. I go to Target. Well, we need to go to Walmart. I don't want to go to Walmart. What if you were to make the decision that this is the house that I'm building? I'm meddling. Let me, let me get back. 2 Kings 24, 25 for the, fifth, for, for the fifth time. At the time that 2 Kings is written, we're at this point of 587 B.C. Listen to this. The prophets pleaded with Israelites to turn from their wicked ways out of this perpetual cycle. So basically, they practiced idolatry. Uh, they, 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 were given, they were given freedom, and then they practiced injustice. They were given holiness, and they were taught how to be pure. Remember, I talked about that. Like how If God is holy and you're impure, you literally, like, he can't hear you. It's not that he doesn't want to. He can't. But they were given holiness, and then they became unholy. The second thing is that God would send them a ruler to rule over them while they were in exile. At this point in time, what we have to understand is that the children of Israel were in the wrong mindset. They thought that God is trying to kill us. But what God was saying is, until you can be able to self-govern yourself, I have to send you a babysitter. So if that's the Babylonians, if that's the Persians, I'm glad that they got their act together after the Persians because after the Persians was the Greeks. And they murdered Christians. They murdered the Jews. And then after the Greeks would have been the Chinese empire. And then you want to know what would, have, 
what would have been after the Chinese Empire? It would have been the European Empire, which understood Catholicism and not Christianity. So what happens is, is all of 2 Kings is God trying to basically wash his people out of this cycle of being redeemed, messing up, having to be exiled. Being redeemed, uh, being redeemed, having everything cleaned up, and having to be exiled. What we understand is that the Babylonian Empire takes over Jerusalem and they destroy everything. When I say everything, they murdered like everything, women, children, they burned the grass. They literally broke down like the pieces of the temple. What we have to understand is that when they broke the temple down, they didn't just blow it up. They blew it up. Then they took the individual pieces and broke the individual pieces down. Then the word of God says, if you look at it like, like when you break it down like with the Strongs or with uh, uh, other uh, um, other like uh, historical data, like like at that time, the way that you destroyed something was by, was by destroying the pieces, then making the pieces into sand, and then spreading those pieces in the desert. So this temple that we're talking about, rebuilding God's house, it's not that these people couldn't see it; it's literally nowhere to be found. Then you understood that you that you destroyed a temple fully when you destroyed the instructions on how to make it. What we have to understand is that when God told them to build the temple, Solomon's temple, Saul's temple, David's temple, there were specific instructions that he gave them. What the Babylonians understood is that if we blow up this building, they're going to remember what it looks like in their head and rebuild it. So what we have to do is we have to destroy it, exile them, kick them out of their land, and then destroy how it looks. What does that look like? Stay at home and watch church on Facebook. You don't need to serve. If you don't like this church, just click over here and search church XYZ. You don't need the word of God. You don't need to physically do the word of God. Just look at the points. Don't do your work in between. Don't join a small group so that somebody can actually show you the instructions. So what I'm trying to understand and try to tell you is that you ruin God's house, not by the way that you build it. You ruin God's house when you don't understand the plan and the function of the building. So Babylonians come into Jerusalem. This is 526 B.C. They destroy everything. They kill all the people. They destroy the, the, the resources. And then they destroy the scribes, what's written on papyrus, so that they can rebuild it by looking at it. The next thing that happens is that the prophets foresaw the new Jerusalem. Write this down, new Jerusalem. We're not getting weird. We're not getting religious. But the people, the older people of this time that remember what the, what, what the temple looked like, they remember when they were in exile in the desert when God said, I'm going to bring you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey was never Jericho. Milk and honey was this new kingdom that Jesus was bringing by way of them building his temple first. God's kingdom is not a place. It's in you, and wherever you go, the church is. But I'm, I'm going to get there in a second. So they first saw this new Jerusalem. Underline it, write it down. This new Jerusalem where the people, their behaviors, and the temple would all be one. Where the people wouldn't see the front door of the church and the front door of their house is different. Where the people wouldn't see the chairs in the sanctuary and the sofa in their couch is different. Where the people wouldn't see that they're going to church. They were already in church because they were the church. What this new normal is doing is it's trying to disassociate you from bringing your physical body to a physical place to worship a physical God. 
we understand that he is physical. I'm sorry, we understand that God is spiritual and he can do things and he, he's, he's, he's at all places at the same time. But there's something that happens physically when the people of God are together physically and God comes in the midst of them physically. It's that thing that you can't describe when you're literally standing and you think you're the only one in the back of the room and you feel these arms wrap around you but you don't see nobody. Ah, it's the difference like when your mom is in the hospital and you're in the physical building and then the doctor goes to ask them like, hey, we don't see the lump from yesterday. I want you to understand that the way in which we build this church is going to be super important, but it's not going to be the physical building. It's going to be you and your spirit. Have I done, have I laid my foundation enough? Am I good to go? Okay, here we go. Where God's presence would live amongst them. What they had to understand was that the temple was the first thing to be destroyed when you wanted to take over any type of, of kingdom, any type of nation, any type of civilization. You destroyed their faith. Once you destroy the faith, you destroy the family. Once you destroy the family, you destroy the finances. And once you destroy the finances, you have finished the people. So don't come to church anymore. And then you wonder why you don't have God's presence in your house. It's not that you're incapable, but there's something different about being a... There's something different about it when I don't have the faith to lift my hands, but Brother Dwayne is standing six feet away from me and he lifts his hands for me. There's something different when you have a child in your house that's inaudible because of autism, but you see somebody else in the building that's been praying, that has the receipt, that they've received what you're praying for. What happens is, is that you, it's impossible to get evidence within your four walls because you can't fit the physical church in your home. And even if you were able to fit them in your home, your home is not a church. It's a house. So the literal, like the, the, the literal, the literal purpose of the building, this building that we have here, is to house houses. It's the, the, the part of a subdivision, you don't have a community with one house. Why do we have zip codes? Why do we have 68106, 68118, 68154? The only reason why we have zip codes is because there are many houses in a community. It will be impossible for us to be a church in the next couple of months without the physical representation of your house in the building. But the question is, what is the spirit of your house? What is the spirit of your four when you come? We're looking at how we're going to bring people back into the building. It's going to be like going to the, to the restaurant. I got a party of two. I got a party of three. I got a party of four. Basically what we're saying is that, yes, we're complying to what the CDC and what our mayor and our governor are doing. We pray for them every single day. But the question is, is that the, 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 those aren't in the instructions. Tell me how many people can come into the house of God is not in the original manual that's called the word of God. Like, the word of God doesn't say what worship is supposed to sound like. The word of God doesn't say what type of nationality is supposed to be in the church. The word of God doesn't say that people that are, that are physically compromised with HIV and AIDS and with their, their livers transplanted and their kidneys transplanted, we're not supposed to be able to tell those people not to come to church because we're afraid that they're going to sick and die. This should be the place that we say in spite of what's going on out there, if you can get to these four walls, I'll just watch what will happen. How do we build a multi-generational, multi-racial, multi-cultural, multi-ethnic church on purpose and tell our people that are over the age of 65 not to come? They're the ones that remember what the temple looked like. Okay. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. So now let's talk about the book of Haggai. Let's talk about the book of Haggai. Here we go. Let's talk about the book of Haggai. Let's talk about the book of Haggai. 
So Haggai is a prophet that we don't give enough credit to. We skip over the book because it's only two chapters. But remember, Ruth is only four chapters, and she saved an entire nation in four chapters. Haggai saves an entire nation in two chapters, which basically tells you that he didn't have to go through all the sorrow and all the head bumping that all these other guys went through. Why do we have to talk about David for five books of the Bible? Because he had to go through the same stuff that the Israelites were going through. God, I love you. I messed up. Clean me up. God, I love you. I messed up. Clean me up. Haggai says, God, I love you. I'm already clean, and I ain't going to mess up. Because this group of Israelites, if they don't get it this time, the people that are coming after the Persians are going to slaughter all of them. So listen, in 520 B.C., this is nearly 70 years later after the children of Israel have been brought out of captivity in Egypt. Haggai comes to them as a free man who never knew slavery. Like, Haggai doesn't understand you're in exile, you've been given this ordinance to go back to your land to build the temple. Like, what are you afraid of? The Israelites are afraid because they think that the Babylonians are still there going to kill them. But Haggai says, like, I don't understand this mentality of slavery. Like, I don't, I don't know what it means to be owned. The Babylonian empire has now fallen after the exile of the Hebrew people. The minute the Babylonians kicked the Hebrew people out of, out of Jerusalem, now they weren't just the enemies of the people, they were the enemy of God. So God destroys the Babylonians by replacing them with the Persians. Now the Persians are over this, like, this place that's supposed to be the Holy Land. That's the reason why right now, like, when you look at, like, the Democratic versus the Republican Party, when you look at the United Nations, we're not fighting wars over just stuff. We're fighting wars over what is holy to other people. And it's the same pieces of land that have been holy for thousands of thousands of years. Pakistan, Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Oh, what, what, what else is there? Ba uh, they call it Babylon, right? But Israel, like all of these places, it's the same place. But what God understands is that until you're ready to take it over, I have to give you a protector of the land, even if they push you out of the place. So the Persians are now in control. They allow the Hebrews to enter back into Jerusalem. But remember, it's rubble. Like, they, there's no paper for them to remember how to build the temple. There are no pieces for them to put back on the temple. And then under the rulership of Joshua and Zerubbabel, Haggai has this conversation with these two gentlemen over these two books. Where we miss it is we think that Haggai is going in front of the people to talk to them. But what we have to understand is that Haggai can't talk to these people because they won't see him. They'll see him as ruling them because he's always been free. People in your life don't like you because you've never been bound. And a person that's never been bound, the only thing I can associate that with is somebody that binds others. So when you are a kingdom citizen, if you go to AWC and you have freedom and you show up to that same group like you showed up last week, they're going to see you differently. They're going to think that you're coming to rule over us, but rather the word of God says is that I'm sending you a savior that doesn't know sin. I'm sending you a savior that doesn't know bondage. So Haggai can't go and talk to the people because they're going to think that he's going to try to rule them because this word slavery to him makes no sense. So then they begin to rebuild the city. Underline this. They begin to rebuild the what? The city, not the temple. The temple was the first thing to be destroyed. Therefore, it should have been the first thing to be what? Rebuilt. 
But the crazy thing about it is that the Persians at this point, everything you read about the Persians, everything you read about the Persians, and I'm going to step on some toes, everything that you read about the Persians, everything that you see in these movies, that they were malicious and they were terrible people, the Persians were the only kingdom when they saw somebody of the same race, creed, or that had the same stamp as them, or even had the same like type of faith, that they would actually give them money to go rebuild their kingdom. Because they understood if we're going to take you over, we can't change how you live. we got to give you money so that you thrive. Because if you thrive without us, without you thinking that we're ruling over you, then we live. So the Persians saw the Israelites and saw that they were darker-skinned people. I'm just using the word. Just using the word. Don't get caught up. They were darker-skinned people. They had tight-knit coils and locks. And they said, these are our people. We worship different gods, but our principle of the temple is the same. The Persians give the Israelites money, gold, gems, like, like wood. They say, hey, you can come back to Jerusalem. But the only way that we're going to allow you to come back to your land is if you do one thing. You have to rebuild the temple. So what do the Israelites do? They build the city. The Persians say, we're going to let you come back. But if you don't do what we tell you, your God has told us. What we have to understand is that these different, like, like these different people then, they worship their gods, but they recognize and reverence other gods. We read the word so blindly, Pastor, that people are like, God didn't exist. No, 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 no. God had counsels with other kings. The word of God says it. We're going to talk about it in Hebrews where he shakes the nations. The nations are not these systems at the time. The nations are the Persian king, the king of the east, the Japanese king, the empire, Chinese empire, the Grecians, all the Native American people that originally had this country that's called America before. Like he called all of them together and he said, you can do as much as you want. You can spend smoke signals. You can kill as many animals as you want. But when you see the Israelites, you better give them the finances that they need to build my temple so I can live amongst them. But the people of Israel did what? They built the city. That should have been the title of this, of, of, this, of this message. They began to build the city with the provisions that were given to them by the Persians to build the temple. That's like, Pastor, having word that comes from this pulpit. Having words that come from this pulpit. To put your family back together. Put your family back together, but not coming back and displaying the goodness of God from the word that you got from the temple. I learned how to put my life back together. There are people in this church, Darren, that were physically molested and raped. And then they literally had their reproductive organs renewed in the church. Started a business, made more money than their spouse and them together. And then question tithing. There are people in, this, in, in, in churches, and I'm telling you because now that I'm, I don't hold the, the, the mantle yet, but I've watched my man of God like hold it. That has literally been in the church, giving you what you need physically, giving you a provision from God. And then you question if you need to serve next week at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. is kind of early. What? 7 a.m. is kind of but you drove up on the campus with a car that's like what you used to pay in rent to your, to, like, you pay, you, you, you pay, you, 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 you pay, you, you pay to maintain the car, what you used to pay for all, like, like. So the Persians begin to look at the Israelites like, wait a minute. Your God said that we couldn't kill you if you built the temple, but you've built the city. When you do not build God's temple, you give your enemies the, the right to kill you. 
Remember, I preface this. I'm talking to those of you that have AWC branded on your forehead. If this insults you, you ain't it. If this insults you, this, this, ain't, this ain't it. When you do with what God, when you don't do with what, if you don't do what God told you to do with what he gives you, you're literally telling your enemies, come and get me. Because when you do what God has instructed you to do with what he gave you, God holds back your enemies. Let's, 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 let's move on. Let me get to my points. So Pastor Martin asked us this question in our staff meeting. He was like, so what's, like, you have, you have uh, Haggai, you have Zerubbabel, and you have Joshua. And, and Pastor Martin asked this question, and I hope that he breaks it down next week. But he said, what's the different difference between a governor, a priest, and a remnant? The governor is the person that defends the people. That's Zerubbabel. When we read the word, God gives Zerubbabel the instructions on how to build the house. I'm going to get to it. But he says, go into the woods and get this lumber. Go over here and get this and go over here and get this. And the people are like, this isn't pretty. But what God understood is that this is the first pieces of resources that I put on earth for you to rebuild. the t- like, But it's not gold. It's not silver. He's like, yeah, but Adam didn't have gold or silver. Adam had trees and dirt and mud and clay. So I want you to build my house like you're building it all over again. Okay. The next person is the priest. The priest is Joshua, not Joshua that, that came out of Israel. He's already dead. He's gone. Like, he's been dead. If we look at it in 520 B.C., it would be Joshua's great, great, great grandchildren. So, his, so if we understand the Is- Israelite faith, they're carrying his bones. The last person to see the temple before it was destroyed. Okay, let me, let me go back. The next is the remnant. The remnant is if you were to blow everything away in the earth, there will still be a remnant of cockroaches. The reason why you hate cockroaches is because you can't get rid of them. If you leave them with half of their body, the remnant of that body will regrow and create thousands of more. And after you've destroyed it, it said you might have been able to destroy me with rain, but you'll never be able to do that again. So the remnant is this piece of God. It's the piece of the people that have evolved. Yes, we were in exile, but you'll never be able to exile us again. Yes, we were in slavery, but you're never going to be able to put us in slavery again. Let me make it real. Yes, my great, 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 great granddaddy used to sleep with everything that was moving. And, he, and he's like, it's my word to fight now, but it ain't going to happen again. Yes, my family used to be poor, but no, nah, not, not this one. Because I watched my daddy not have no money, and now I know the same God that wanted him to have money wants me to have money. Like, like the, what the people of Israel have to understand is that they are the remnant. Even if there's only a head, even if there's only a leg, what the body tells the rest of it, he says, if I have the DNA strand, I can rebuild this thing for, from, from scratch. It takes one sperm and one egg to make a baby. You know how simple that is? Well, what would happen if the people that came into the house of God were seen as the remnant of God? God, we are the original blueprint of what church is supposed to be. We're not looking to be popular. We're looking to be powerful. We're not looking to be insane. We're looking to be influential. Let me move to my points. First point. The governor defends the people. They are responsible for the facilitation of rebuilding. The facilitation of rebuilding. Zerubbabel sat up on a mountain and told them the resources to get and told them how to build. The priest is Joshua. He connects the people. He is the mastery of work. Once you have built the temple, now I got to teach you how to get in touch with God so that you can make this place a home for him. Because every house that is built is not a home. Even if it's virtual. Everything that looks good with bells and whistles, you might think that you're going to church, but the question is, how was it built? 
The third is the remnant. It reminds the people of who they are. This is Haggai. The only person that can remind you of who you are is the person that wasn't connected to who you were. The only way I can tell you that you were a slave is if I wasn't one. The only way I can tell you if you're broke is if I got some money. The only reason why the elderly man in this church that's 75 years old is telling you that the way that you're going, you're going to lose your kids is because he lost, he didn't lose his. I, I kind of know what I'm talking about. Pastor Martin says this thing all the time. And it used to, like, get on my nerves a couple years ago. But, like, I would bring him these great ideas. And he would look at me in the middle of these meetings. I mean, I would make PowerPoints and slides. I'd be in front of the board. I'd be in front of the presbytery. I'm like, well, this is what we're going to do. And dad wouldn't say nothing. I would feel so crushed. Then behind closed doors, he would look at me. He's like, you know, I, I kind of been doing this for a minute. I, I think I kind of know how to build a church. Because I'm passing it on to you. You can't build a temple with people that have never seen it. But what happens is, is that God has called us to be all three. Say, well, I'm supposed to be all three. I'm supposed to be the governor. I'm supposed to defend my people. I'm supposed to be the priest. I'm supposed to connect the people back to God. And the third thing is that I'm the remnant. When God comes back to earth, he's not just going to be looking for a physical building. God's going to come to your house. But the way in which people are being brought into this new normal of church, they think that the pastor is the one that's going to have to answer. But I think that this culture is changing where God is going to start seeing people's houses the same as the house, as the house of God. So once he comes back to earth, he's going to come to your door and say, why didn't you build my church? Like, why, why didn't you defend my people? How could, you def- how could you forget the DNA? I'm all over my notes, but this is so good, even to me. So I'm going to give you Haggai 1 and 2 and four points. Four points. Number one, write this down. Don't leave God's house in ruin. You don't ruin God's house by destroying it. You ruin God's house by not rebuilding it. It is more disrespectful not to rebuild what your forefathers built than to try and build it. God says, I would rather you try to build it and do it incorrectly than just to let everything just sit on the ground. There are some of you that don't believe that you have the power to pick your family back up. But the Holy Spirit says through this word that if your, if your family is in pieces and they're on the ground, if you can see them, you're supposed to be the governor. If you can see them, you're supposed to be the priest and bring them back together. And the third thing is that you're supposed to be the remnant that reminds your family that we used to be broken, but because of that, our house is stronger. Woo, Jesus. Okay, here we go. Haggai 1, 1 through 15. Haggai accuses the people. Write this down. It's going to be a point. Haggai 1, 1 through 15. Haggai literally accuses the people through Zerubbabel and Joshua. So a lot of you are asking, where's Pastor Martin? Why is he on Facebook? Because the Holy Spirit is accusing him. And accusation doesn't mean negativity. Accusation means that Haggai went to Zerubbabel and Joshua says, why isn't the house built? This is not normal for the people not to be in the house of God. They need to be crying babies and snotting babies. I don't care if they're sick. If one of them gets sick, I have the power to heal them all. Like, why aren't they in the house? So what you have to understand is that even though we're not on Facebook Live right now and Instagram Live every single day, the same energy, if not more, that was given to be able to study, our pastor is literally sitting with God, sweat, tears, and blood, trying to figure out what does this church supposed to look like? How do I let people into this building and allow them to worship but also not compromise their health? And if you're a part of the culture, you'll understand it rather than wanting to be entertained 24-7. Haggai 1, 1, 15, he begins to accuse the people. Because at this time, the people are building their own fancy houses with the provision that was given by the Persians to build the temple. 
So their houses are all gold and decked out. They got like a, a 70-inch screen in the, in the living room. They got the Maserati and the Rolls Royce. They couldn't just pick one, so they bought seven of them in all colors that they come in. Like their houses are prettier than the house of God. So, so Haggai comes, and he basically like blows the spot up. He airs the whole thing out. He says, the temple is still in ruin. This is the equivalent to when their ancestors disrespected God. What Haggai wants them to understand, when you didn't want to come out of, out of slavery, that was bad. But you refusing to build God's house and you're free is even worse than your ancestors. So listen to this. In Haggai 1.3, it says, then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in what? Luxurious houses while what? My house lies in ruins. How can you call me your God if your house looks better than mine? And remember, God don't play no games. God is extremely jealous. God says, how do you have a four-car garage and I ain't even got a sidewalk? How? Especially when you're using the resources that you should have built my house to build yours. Then listen to this. He says, you, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Not God, the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember, we said when we give, when we do what we're supposed to do, what God gave us, he protects us. That's God's armies. But listen, God doesn't even speak. The, the, the leader of God's heavenly army says this. He says, look at what's happening to you. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep, har- keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Seventh verse. I'm sorry, we got to go through this word, y'all. We got to go through this word. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Not God. God's so bad that he sends the captain of the angelic armies to talk to you. Because remember... God is holy, and he can't be in places that are unholy. And if your spirit is not in the right place, even if you're in this building, you're unholy. That's why you can be in the presence of other people experiencing God's glory, but you do not because your spirit is not in alignment. God does not visit places that are impure. Listen to this. Now go up into the hills, bring down the timber, and rebuild my house, period. Not rebuild my house after you figure out what you're going to do with your serve teams. Not rebuild my house after you figure out how we're going to get our giving up. Not rebuild our house after we figure out how do we make our church look like all, the other, all these other churches that people seem to be leaving and lacking more than ours. He says, no. Rebuild the church that I told you to build. So AWC, if we build a church that looks like the church that you might like watching, we're doing it incorrectly. We have to build the church that God has given us through the man of God, which is Pastors Martin and Linnell. That's our job. Here we go. The second point is this. Remember the floor plan. Zerubbabel is the governor. He's given the ordinance. This is how you're supposed to build it. He gets rebuked. He gets accused. And now afterwards, God says, build my house, period. Not build my house after all that stuff I was talking about. He tells him how to build it. The next thing, though, Haggai begins to talk to Joshua because, remember, Joshua is the priest. He's the one that, is in, that, he's the one that stands in that place where he makes sure that the people understand why they're doing the work. He's the one that makes sure they understand you're not building a temple so that we can magnify the temple. You're building a temple so that God can come down into this holy place and reside amongst us. So listen to this. Remember the point. Remember the floor plan. In Haggai 2, 1 through 9, Joshua and Haggai have to deal with the people's shattered expectations. Because they were expecting for freedom to look a bit different. 
which means that they built these houses that were beautiful and that were amazing, but they were still not okay. Their houses were great. They reaped harvests. Their houses had gold on them, but they still weren't happy. So Joshua has to help them, and Haggai has to help them with their expectations. I'm in Haggai 2, 3 through 9. Listen to this. Haggai 2, 3. Does, Haggai asks, does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. Now let's jump down to the seventh verse. Jump down to the seventh verse. Haggai 2, 7. It says, I will shake all of the what? Nations and the what? Treasures of all the nations will be brought where? To his temple. What the Holy Spirit is trying to let them know is that you thought that what the Persians gave you was enough. But when you follow my instructions and you build the house of God, I'm going to supply it with my own splendor. Like you don't have enough gold rubies. You don't have enough silver frankincense and myrrh to outfit this temple to look like what I want it to do. That's why your only job is to build the temple. Your job isn't to make it work. So all these churches are trying to figure out how to fill in their buildings. All you got to do is build it. What do they say? Build it and they will come. Once you start to build something and you start to become responsible for if they got the message, once you start to feel responsible for, oh, we need to fill the room, once you start to feel responsible, man, we need at least 100 people to give $100 this week so that we can make the quota on all of our salaries so we can pay the electricity. Like, once you have done that, you put a blockage on the resources that God has on the way. Sometimes it's not that God doesn't want anything for you. Sometimes you sent the, you sent the, the, the package back to sender by trying to provide for yourself. So what Joshua and Zerubbabel and Haggai have to do with the people is destroy their expectations of thinking that by them building the house, God will come. You cannot force God's hand. You have to remember the plan. The only thing that was ever created that was called good in the word of God came from God when he built it. Which means that we're supposed to build the house of God. Then God comes, he inspects the house, and then he decides if he wants to live there. The one way that we know if something is good is if God lives in it. The only way you know, the only way you know that some people were at some people's houses, when you're with them, you could smell their home. Why? Because they have the remnant of the atmosphere of where they came from. I can tell if you've been to Popeye's and not KFC based off of what? How you smell. The question is this, when God comes to a church that's pretty and it has everything, we have this screen, but if God does not see himself living here, he will not remain here. God doesn't remain in places that are pretty and beautiful because of our work. No, God lives in that thing and then it becomes pretty and beautiful because of his presence. My daddy said it all the time. He said, listen, you're going to get married, you're going to buy a house, and it's beautiful. But the house will not be beautiful until you invite me and your mother and you feed us in the house. So that means I could be married for 50 years. Daddy could be dead and gone. But if I never invited the man to the house that he probably have allowed me to buy, my house is not beautiful because he hasn't lived in it. This house will not be beautiful if the spirit of God is not here. And if you call yourself a son of God, if you call yourself a brother of God, that means that the same spirit that's in God is in who? In you. Therefore, this building cannot be beautiful without the physical representation of his people. You have to come back to church. God inhabits the praises of his 
people, not the praise of a person. Let me go back to the word. Let me go back to the word. The plan isn't the structure, but rather its purpose in how it changes people's lives. The plan isn't how beautiful this church looks. The plan of how we know if it works is in two things. If God resides here and if people that have came here that don't have hope have hope. That's how we know the church is working. It's not by how much people give. It's not by what we're able to buy. It's not by who we're able to hire. It's by two things. If God feels comfortable staying here and if people that don't feel comfortable coming here stay here and become changed. If the sick remain sick while they're here, we haven't done our job. If a husband still feels that he is okay to put his hands on his children and his wife when he comes here, we haven't done our job. If somebody comes here and thinks that going paycheck to paycheck and being impoverished, which we don't fight that, that stupid demon of people thinking that you need to be prosperous. It's in the word, literally 1,567 times in the New Testament. If you come to this place and you're broken and you do not receive wholeness, we've done it wrong. That's why God's presence is so necessary. But we have to do what the point says. Remember the floor plan. Because the floor plan doesn't look structural on blueprints. The floor plan looks like people. Let, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you. Point number three. One more point, we're going home. Told you I only had four. Number three. It's all in the how. It's not in the what. It's not in the when. It's not in the where. It's not this church is nicer over on the East Coast. It's not I like this church because they have church at 10 o'clock. It's not, it's not, I like this church because most of the people look like me. It's not, I like that church because their, their worship is great. It's not this church over here because the pastor's wife is leading a, a women's ministry. It, it's not this church because I can't just come into the church and just start a small group. They have to vet me. It's in the how. Let me prove it to you through the word. Haggai 2, 10 through 19. Remember, let, let, let me go back. First point. Don't leave God's house in ruin. The first part of Haggai, Haggai accuses the people. The second point, remember the floor plan. And that's Haggai 2, 1 through 9, where he shatters their expectation that what you think you're building is not what God wants. The third point that he gives them, it's, it's all in the how. This is Haggai 2, 10 through 19, and I'll, and I'll summarize. This is where Haggai calls the people to become faithful to the covenant. Because you can't come back to the covenant of God if you don't give him a place to meet you at. Yes, you can receive God in your home. Most definitely. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But there's something different when you come to church and you give your life to God and there are witnesses that understand why you're lifting your hands. It's not the what. It's the how. Yes, you can get saved at home. But there's something different when you do it with witnesses that are looking to bring you into a fold so you don't have to fight evil by yourself when you go back to the crib. He engages some priests on a ritual purity. They come to him afterwards, these, these priests that remember the, the, the temple. And they begin to ask Haggai, he says, listen, so if somebody is impure, or somebody's pure and they touch a dead body, and then they, after they touch that dead body, are they impure? Haggai says, well, yeah, based on the custom and the ritual. Then they say, okay, if that person touches a dead body and they become impure and they touch food, is the food therefore impure? Haggai says, well, yeah. Haggai gets so smart, he says, oh, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to find a loophole besides being pure because you like your fancy houses. Oh, so Haggai says, oh, this is great because I'm going to use God's word to, like, whoop you behind. L let me show you. 
So Haggai says in 2.14 that there are no loopholes to building God's house. You can't even put a brick up until you're holy. You can't even build my house until you're pure. Because listen to what he says in Haggai 2.14. I'm using the word. I'm telling you. He says, then Haggai responded, this is how it is with the people and the nation, says the Lord. Listen to this. Everything they do and everything they offered is defiled by their sin. Verse 15, look at what happened to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you only got 20. 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Yeah, Pastor. So God's not trying to kill you. What God's trying to do is trying to let you know until you get pure and build my temple, nothing you touch is going to work. And the other thing that he said is this. Just like if you're, if you're impure and you cook food like where we are right now, that's why it's so important to wash your hands. That's why we have to wash our hands so that you don't cross-contaminate. What God says is that if you are impure, if you're dirty, if you worship me, your worship is dirty. If you love your wife through your impurity, you're doing it dirty. You can't do anything in excellence dirty. So what God says is that before you even lay a brick, you must become pure. So here's my fourth and final point. Look at your neighbor and say, how, 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 do we, how do we become how do we become pure? How, 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 how do I cleanse? For those of you that call yourself AWC Nation that are calling this place your church, that's who I'm talking to. That's who I'm talking to, right? Like, how, how do I become pure? Haggai tells them in Haggai 2, 20 to 23. My last point is this. It says, let's get to work. The way you become pure in the body of Christ is while you're doing the work. But what does the work look like? Number one, preparing your heart to return. The first conversation Haggai has with the people is telling them the way in which you see this temple is wrong. So before you begin to build the temple, you need to see it in your heart and your mind and in your spirit the way it's supposed to be. So the one way that we begin to do the work, AWC, is seeing this place full with the right people, which is all people. The right message coming out of this place. The second thing that we have to see is you have to see yourself in it. You have to see yourself here. It's not just physically showing up. There are so many times that some people have been on dates, and you've been on a date with a beautiful young lady or a very handsome young man, but they're physically there, but they're not there. God is not coming to a church that is physically present and spiritually aloof. You have to be all here, mind, body, soul, and spirit. In Haggai 2, 20 through 23, and I think Pastor Martin's going to break this down even more. And this is my close. Haggai begins to talk about this new Jerusalem. He begins to talk about this new kingdom of God that, like, it's not going to be a physical building that you're building. Haggai, we have to think that Haggai has revelation because we have no, we have no recollection of Haggai speaking with any of the prophets that had direct connection with God. Every time that Haggai's talked to, it's by an angel. But Haggai says there's going to come a kingdom that lives on the inside of men. And the way that you are going to prove that it can live on the inside of them is if you build it physically. So let's get to work 
isn't us building a physical building. Let's get to work is to show people that the same building that you come to physically already lives in me. AWC Nation, my question to you today is, does the physical building of AWC live in you? When you go to the grocery store, do people question, where do you come from? When you wear that hoodie that you so wanted, when you wear that t-shirt that y'all wanted so bad, when people see it, do they just see a hoodie or do they see something that they've never seen before? The work that we are called to Ambassadors Worship Center, it's, it's, it's in our creed. But it's literally what we're building. It's building a place of love where people don't have to come loving. They, they, they just are. But the expectation is that you learn how to love people. The building that we're building has a brick that's called hope. It's where people that think that they're on their last dollar, they're on their last dime, they're at the end of the rope that they're using to hang themselves. That when they come to this building, when they see you, when they see you and your family that's together, they get hope that they're broken family, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We're a church of dominion. Where people are able to literally look in the mirror and see the person that God created, not what they see. That's the church we're building. That's the temple that God will reside in. God resides in people that when they look in the mirror, they see God looking back at them, not how depressed they are. Not anxiety, not I ain't got no bread, not I ain't got no money. God looks at you when he sees God. And the last thing that we create is a big brick. It's a really beautiful one. It's the cornerstone of this church that our pastors have been laying forever. It's this brick of power. It's this thing where when you show up in a situation, you don't show up. God is like, it's like when a little kid goes and like gets beat up at the playground and they come back with their big brother. Those kids don't see the kid. Who they see? They see big dude behind them. What we understand is our pastor preaches this message all the time. Not just go in your strength, but go in the power that God gave you. But you, the only way that you can go someplace is if you're sent. And it has to be sent from an organization that's called the church. So my question to you today, Ambassadors Worship Center, to the person that's trying to figure out what church am I going to, for the person that's trying to figure out, I don't know if I want to stay or not, I don't think that those are the right questions to be asking. I think the question we should be asking ourselves is, do I have a purpose rebuilding this house? And, and if you can't find it, the, the Holy Spirit is all over this. Please go to the floor. Please go to the floor. The Holy Spirit is all over it. You've been trying to figure out if this is your church or not. And if it's not, that is, that's okay. You've been trying to figure out, should I serve? Some of our elderly are messaging us. Those of you that are watching online, that, that are literally in fear of coming to church. We have people that are physically in health compromise, that are in fear. They call our pastors. They call me. Like, I don't feel safe. Like, like I don't feel safe coming back to church. We will not use our energy to fight you out of the house of God, but we will use every single ounce of energy to make it suitable for you. We will make this place safe. We will make this place a house of love, power, dominion, and hope. 
But the question you must ask yourself is when you look at the church in ruin, when you look at all the pieces on the ground, is there a pull in your heart? Is there a pull in your spirit? Is there a pull in your soul? Like, I can do something. I might not be strong enough to build some bricks, but I can, I can, I can sweep. I might not be able to sweep, but I can pick up some lumber. I might not be able to pick up some lumber, but I can stand by the door. The church is not going to be ruined if the right people stand up. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. But if you are called to this house, I want you to stand. Not if you're driving. I want you to stand. For some of you, it's going to look physical. For some of you, it's going to look mental and spiritual. But I think that wherever we are, wherever you are in this nation, that God now sees a beacon of AWC up in the sky where people are being called back to the church in the right way. Right there where you are, just begin to send your energy here. Begin to send yourself here. Like, literally send your body here. Come on, I see myself in the purple sea. I can't wait to come back to the house of God. God, AWC is my home. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. If you call this your home, come on, to call it. I claim it. I claim the vision. I claim the mission of Ambassadors Worship Center. This is my home. I will rebuild my home. I will, I will rebuild your house, God. I will rebuild your house.